Well, as you've heard, Julia and I are leaving. We've got about five weeks left in Sheffield, and we've, we've started packing up some boxes, quite a lot of them. As I was clearing out things in the house, I came across an old photograph. I know you can't see it from there, but before I, I worked for church here, I used to work for UCCF, University and Colleges Christian Fellowship, with Christian students in York and then in Sheffield. And this photograph was taken at uh, the first staff conference I was at in 1999, ten years ago. Didn't time fly really quickly? Ten years, just like that. I had long hair and was really, you know, trim. Not quite. Um, taken ten years ago. But um, as I looked at it, I was looking at the photo, 80, about 80 people, 80 faces of Christians that I worked with. And I started thinking, uh, where are you now? Ten years on, where are you? And some, I confess, I don't know where they are. I didn't know them very well at the time. I, I, I know them less well now. Uh, two, I know, are working with Christian students in, in New Zealand. Uh, one's been a missionary in Turkey, another in Greece. In amongst that group, there's, uh, there's an artist, a full-time musician, a lawyer. There's a couple of teachers, a couple of mums. Uh, one I hardly knew at the time. I remember having uh, chatting to her very briefly over a mealtime at the conference. Ten years on, she lives around the corner from me now. Isn't that great? Uh, two have had battles with cancer and recovered. Uh, three have had battles with cancer and died. Uh, one has spent years patiently caring for an ill relative. A couple uh, have really struggled as Christians latterly. And one of them was arrested and sent to prison, not for persecution, for doing something wrong. And as far as I know, has given up following Christ. Ten years on. Uh, Eighty faces of Christians I worked with. Uh, where are they now? Uh, ten years on. And I guess the question for all of us is, you think about that, where will we be ten years from now? As some of us will have died. And maybe for some that's expected ten years from now as you think about your life. For some of us it will be unexpected. Or will it be prison? Could someone here end up in prison? Or given up on Christ? Not following him anymore ten years from now? Or will we still be serving the Lord? What's going to be the direction of travel in your life? We're starting a new series this morning looking at some of Jesus' parables. They're stories that illustrate spiritual realities. And we're starting in Luke chapter 8 this morning, the reading we had for us. And the reading starts with people travelling with Jesus on a journey with him. But then he stops and tells them a parable. It is, in a way, the key to all the parables. And what it says has the ability to set the course for your life for the next ten years and beyond. So three things we'll learn this morning. We will learn something about parables. And we'll also learn something about God's kingdom. And we'll learn something about God's word. And the point Jesus wants to leave us with comes in verse 18. It's his big application for us this morning. Verse 18, where he says this, Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Think about how you listen. Make sure you're listening well. We'll come back to that at the end. Um, I I was at the airport last week. I was out visiting uh, Andy Oatridge. Some of you will know, running camps in in Hungary. 
I was out there and I was at the airport. You know they've got those things. I can only think to describe them as sort of flat escalators. You know the things, I mean, they look like an escalator. They just don't go up a hill. They, I always think they're for if you're really lazy and you just can't be bothered walking. But you know what it's like if you're walking along the airport, they have a number of them. And sometimes I'm talking with, with someone and I don't realize I'm about to step onto it. And you know when it catches you, it unbalances you because the speed's different. And it, it throws you off balance for a moment until... You figure out where you are and you start walking and you get up to speed and it's, it's fine. I find it can be a little like that reading this part of Luke. Because we just step into chapter 8, not having read the rest. And it can unbalance you for a moment. Oh, where are we? What's going on? I, I, I don't understand the flow. Not, not sure where we're going. So uh, let's just allow Luke to get us up to speed with what's going on. He told us, some of you will remember at the beginning of his book, or he tells us at the beginning of his book, that what he's doing in writing is providing us with a carefully investigated, orderly account of the things God has done through Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, he he presents Jesus as the Son of God who's come to fulfill the promises God's made in his word. Promises to rescue people who have just lived life rejecting him. Restore them to a relationship with himself, living under his his good rule and his blessing forever. And Jesus gives various proofs that he's the genuine article. He doesn't just talk the talk, he has actions to back it up. And we see him start to call people to trust him. To put their faith in him, to believe his word. But as you read the early chapters, you see that the responses are mixed. Some leaders are hostile and reject him outright. And the crowds are often more interested in the hype surrounding the miracles. And that faith or trust that Jesus seems to be looking for, well, well, it seems to be very scarce. You don't see much of it. We get a glimpse of it in chapter 7 in verse 9. If you've got a Bible open, you might want to turn back. The story, again, might be familiar to many of you. There's a Roman soldier whose servant is ill. It should be probably just the page before you, where you're on just now. But there's a, a Roman soldier whose servant's ill. And he hears that Jesus can heal people. And some Jewish leaders come to Jesus and ask him to help. And they, they say an interesting thing. They say, this man deserves to have you help him. That's what they say in verse 4. He, he deserves it. Well, Jesus goes with them, but... On the way, the soldier sends this really interesting message. He says, look, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to have you come. It's interesting, isn't it? I don't deserve it. Um, But I know that if you say the word, my servant will be healed, verse 7. And in verse 9, you see Jesus' response. We're told, Jesus was amazed at him. I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Faith that says, I've got nothing to bargain with God. I don't deserve anything from him. He doesn't owe me anything. I just humbly ask for help and trust his word. If he says he'll help me, he can and will. There's not much of that faith around, says Jesus. I don't see much faith like that. We get another glimpse of it in verse 50 of the same chapter. Chapter 7, verse 50. This time... Jesus is having dinner at the home of another Jewish leader. And while he's there, a a young woman comes in, uninvited. Everyone knows the kind of woman she is. She'll have been someone who just sleeps around. And she falls at Jesus' feet, weeping. Starts to 
to wash his feet with her tears. It's, it's one of those really awkward social moments, isn't, isn't it? What, what do you do? You've got this uninvited woman in. She's just crying all over the place. What do you do? What do you say? It's just, oh. You want it just to go away. So what do you do? Well, this Jewish leader, Simon, he actually seems bothered that Jesus would let a woman like this touch him. He knows what kind of woman she is. Why, why would Jesus let a woman like that touch him? She's a sinner. And Jesus knows what he's thinking. And he starts to talk to Simon all about sin and about forgiveness. And he explains the woman is acting this way because she's found that God would forgive all her sin. Now her tears, Jesus is saying, are are tears of gratitude. She's thanking Jesus. And you see his words in verse 50. He speaks to the woman and he says to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You don't see much of that faith around in Luke's gospel. Just glimpses of it. But there it is again. In this woman, that faith. Knowing I don't deserve anything, but God has been very good to me. That faith, that trust that Jesus is looking for. Just a glimpse of it. Well, that's where we are in Luke's gospel. And actually, that's where we all are. Sitting here today in Sheffield, that's where we all are. Jesus looking for people who genuinely trust him. If we've got that clear in our minds, that that sort of brings us up to speed in Luke's gospel. We'll not be unbalanced as we, we carry on. So come back to our reading. See, the crowds are starting to gather again in verse 4. Uh, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming from town after town, Jesus told this parable and it's about seed and soils and all the rest. I love gardens. I really love sitting out in in a nice garden. I love it when I go around to friends' uh, homes and their grass is immaculate. There's nice flowers out. I just don't understand gardening. And I can't quite understand why people would listen to Gardener's Question Time. For pleasure. For pleasure. You know, friends of mine who say, oh, it's time for Gardener's Question Time. We better turn the radio on. You know, why? Why? Um, chapter 8, you kind of feel like you've landed in Gardener's Question Time with Jesus, don't you? He, he just starts talking about seed and plants and growing things. And for someone like me, that, that's not very good. I, just, I don't really like Gardener's Question Time. But it seems a bit odd. If Jesus is looking for faith, why does he start talking about plants? It it seems a bit odd, doesn't it? And that's the point. He's saying something else. But he's wanting to know who's listening. And who's just after the hype. His disciples have been around him long enough to know there must be something else. And they guess correctly. You hear their question in verse 9, don't you? They say, well, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. They know he's not really talking about plants. He can't just be talking about plants. There must be something else going on. And before he tells them, Jesus gives an explanation about parables generally. See, look what he says in in verse 10. And he says uh, this about parables. And it kind of says parables help disciples but harden others. Uh, Various friends of mine who've got married told me they used to think uh, they just had one collection of clothes. Just their clothes. These are my clothes. I've got them. But uh, after they got married, how surprised they were 
when their wives informed them that there were in fact two distinct groups of clothes they had. Barely acceptable fashion and totally unacceptable fashion. See, getting married exposed something they'd never been aware of. I can see some wives here have probably given up. (laughs) If your wife's laughing just now, it's because it's true. Um, But parables are a little bit like that, in the sense that they split things into two distinct groups. Or I guess more accurately, they expose two groups. And all of us will eventually fall into one of them. There are disciples and there are others. And you see what Jesus tells the disciples in verse 10. He says this to them. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Knowing about God. Jesus says it it isn't a mysterious code that you need to crack. It's a gift and Jesus will give it. And if there is anything secret about it, it's a secret that Jesus wants to tell you. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. I'm giving it to you. So parables will help disciples. People who are responding to Jesus because they'll help explain what God's kingdom is like. What it's like to to live in God's kingdom. What I should expect to happen. What knowing God will be like for me. Parables will, will help you get to know all those things. But they also work in another way. There's a different effect on these others. You hear what Jesus says, but to the others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. And what does Jesus mean? Well, I think the clue is in that quote. It came from our first reading in Isaiah. And it was a time when the nation of Israel in their history was in a terrible state. The majority of the people were persistently refusing to listen to God, ignoring his appeals to return to him, and they're heading for trouble. He'd sent lots of prophets to speak to them, but they ignored them. And in our reading, God appoints Isaiah to continue to speak to the people, but to tell them, be ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. And the point seems to be this. See, what can you say to people who won't accept the truth. God says he'll keep telling them the truth. But that's their problem. They refuse it. So the more he speaks to them, well, the worse it becomes. And they start to get hardened to it. See, in an interesting way, in telling them the truth, God judges them. Because you refuse to listen to me, he says... I won't stop telling you the truth, but eventually you won't be able to listen to it. You'll see the truth, but you won't see it. You'll you'll hear the truth, but you won't hear it because you keep refusing it. And Jesus seems to be saying, look, history is repeating itself. He's been telling people the truth. And the majority are refusing it. Oh, there's lots of excitement, but only glimpses of faith. And just like Isaiah's day, he's going to keep speaking, but his word now will act in one of two ways. It will either help or it will harden. It will help disciples, but harden others. And as you go along, it will expose what group you're really in. 
See, a few years ago on a, a little evangelistic course, a course about finding out about Christianity that we ran here, two people read this story. Neither of them were Christians. One had grown up going to Sunday school. The other was a scientist by profession. And the one who'd gone to Sunday school said, well, this doesn't make sense. I thought parables were, were little stories to help you remember things. And the scientist said, no, that's not it at all. And parables don't seem to be stories just to help you remember things. Parables are more like filters. Uh, they help to separate those who are really listening from those who are not. I think the scientist was right. And it's quite a thought, isn't it? That over the next few, year, uh, next few weeks, as we, we go through parables, we'll find we'll discover more clearly which group we're in. See, it's not just about whether you come to church or not. It's, it's whether you really are a disciple or you're one of the others. It's quite a thought that this first parable will help us respond to God better or it will either push us further down the line of refusing the truth. Well, that's a bit about parables. Let's see what Jesus tells us about God's kingdom in verses 11 to 15. And the the parable seems quite simple when Jesus explains it, doesn't it? Well, the seed is God's word and the different soils are different types of people and how they respond. Do they really believe? Is that genuine faith? And he seems to say this about God's kingdom. Believing God's word is how you enter and grow. Believing God's word is how you enter God's kingdom and how you grow in it. Just, Just look at verse 12. Jesus says this, those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. But you understand the implication of that if you you turn it on its head. The way to be saved, the way into God's kingdom is to believe God's word. See, if you lose God's word, if you stop listening to God's word, you've no chance. Well, what does believing God's word look like? Well, again, Jesus tells us in verse 15. You hear what he says. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. As you believe in God's word, is not merely agreeing that certain things are true. It's not just ticking a box to, I, I sort of agree with that. No, this is the response Jesus commends. And when his word lands in a person, they take hold of it and they hold on to it. They take his promises seriously. So much so that their lives start to be shaped around those promises. They won't let go of it. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this for you. And even by my standards, this might be a poor attempt. But as many of you know, Julia, my wife, is pregnant. The due date is November the 5th. Uh, preparing to welcome a baby is exciting. We, we've started to feel the baby kick. Uh, all sorts of things like that is, is great. Uh, preparing to welcome this, this baby is exciting for us. Being pregnant, though, has its ups and downs. So looking out for Julia has become paramount. Uh, increasingly, that starts to shape how we live our lives. So in the early months, every car journey included a bowl on the back seat. Uh, because Julia just might throw up on the, the car journey when she was feeling sick. I, d- I don't know if you've, you've ever had to dispose of a bowl of sick in the car park of the Chesterfield Tesco. It's not, I would say, it's, it's not immediately obvious what you should do. There aren't signs up saying, here's what you do in that situation. 
remember sitting there with this bowl on my lap thinking, do you just open the door and pour it out? (laughs) Will there be someone in the shop I could take it to and say, I I, I brought this for you? Or or do you do what we did and sort of drive past a a sort of shrubby area and and, and tip tip it in there? And, and yes, along with that, I could decide, well, I think it'd be really nice to have pasta for dinner. But when twice in one week, a phone call driven by pregnancy cravings came saying, I really want fish and chips tonight. <laughs> other plans have to be shelved. Now forget the pasta, it's fish and chips again tonight. There's something special with a pregnancy, isn't there? You want to take real care with it. There's the beginning of a new life that you want to look after. It's a new life that is great and wonderful and you want to look after it. And you don't want to get bored after 12 weeks, do you? You don't want to think after 12 weeks, I'm bored of this now. No, you, you've got to persevere all the way to November the 5th and beyond. In a sense, everything else revolves around this. It doesn't stop you doing other things. You can do all the other things, but this one thing now shapes how you do everything else. And listen, to so listen to this and understand with God's word. If you're going to hold on to the new life that Jesus says God's word will bring, this wonderful new life that it really will bring, if you're going to hold on to it, it doesn't mean that you won't do other things. It doesn't mean that you won't do other things. Work and entertainment and extensions to your house and getting married and having babies and visiting grandchildren and spending money and driving a nice car and falling in love and eating cheesecake and facing death and all the rest. It doesn't mean that you won't do those things. But it will have to shape how you do all of those things. It really will. God's word will have to shape everything. You need to set the course of your life, the direction of travel, holding on to God's promises. So as you think about your career, God's word is paramount. As you fall in love, God's word directs who you give your heart to. As you evaluate your ambitions, God's word is the measurement. As you spend your money, God's word is your financial advisor. As you say, I'm giving in to this temptation, God's word says, no. And Jesus says, if you live that way, you'll find new life. New life that will grow and eventually produce a harvest. See, but I find myself thinking, no, I want to be in charge. So when it comes to relationships, I want to decide what I can do there. And when it comes to my money, no, actually, there's things I just want to get. You know how it is, you invite somebody around for Sunday lunch, you bring out a cheesecake, you can see I like cheesecake, it's the only cake I mention. But you, you bring out a cheesecake, maybe you've made it yourself and you, you love it, you know, you're, you're willing to share it, but you want a good bit. And you say to someone, would you like a piece? And they say to you, no, I want all of it. And you say, well, you're very rude, aren't you? Don't you have any manners? And, And in a similar way, you you offer God your life and you say, would you like a piece? And he says, no, I want all of it. And you say to God, well, you're very rude, aren't you? Don't you have any manners? And God says, no, 
I want all of it because no one, ha- no one else has a right to any of it. And do you want to know if there is sin in your heart that you need to turn away from? You'll feel it squirm as God says, I want all of you. So if you're married and something goes on with your husband or your wife and you think about the way you respond to them, the way you're going to say something back to them and God says, no, I want that. I want that piece. And I'll tell you how to respond in this situation. And I find myself thinking, no, I know what I'm going to do. Or you think about some money that you're going to spend and God says, no, I want that piece as well. And I'll tell you how to spend it so you can enjoy all sorts of things and how you can spend it to be sacrificial as well. I want all of it. And you'll feel sin squirm as God says to you, no, I want everything. See, do you feel this parable doing its filtering work on you? I have to say I realise for myself I'm in danger of being someone who God says, though seeing you don't see, though hearing you don't understand. And as you hear these words again, you, you understand maybe again, you need Jesus to save you for God. I'm not actually that good at responding to him. I'm not actually that good at giving him everything. I need to be saved. I need Jesus to take hold of my life. And you understand that and you want to hold on to God's word about Jesus who promises to save us by his cross. And as you patiently persevere with that, it will produce a crop, a life shaped by God's certain promises. Well, if that's one thing about God's word, how we get into the kingdom, there's another thing as well that Jesus says, and it's this, believing God's word is a battle. See, look, if entering God's kingdom depends on believing his word like this, uh, we need to know that it's hard work to believe it. Just look at the soils that Jesus mentioned. At verse 12, the soil on the path that the devil seems to to snatch away before it gets started. Uh, There's a soil on the rocks, verse 13. There's no real root and it falls away when being a Christian is tough, when hardship comes. And there's a soil among the thorns, verse 14. God's word was was just never really the priority. It was there, but it wasn't the priority, so it gets choked. And there might be someone here, maybe you've been invited by a friend and you're genuinely intrigued by Jesus, but uh, tomorrow or during the week, you you talk to one of your neighbours who you're good friends with, you really like them, they're not a Christian, and you you say to them, uh, you know, I went to church with John yesterday, and they just laugh and say, oh, I don't think you'd fall for that kind of rubbish. And you feel really embarrassed because there's someone that you like and you resolve never to mention it again and the seed has been snatched away. It's gone. Or perhaps you're here and you call yourself a Christian. But just recently you've begun to feel well being a Christian is quite inconvenient. And some of Jesus' promises and commands, they, they don't fit with the way you want to live. In fact, they're a little bit uncomfortable. And actually, you know there's things that you're asked to do at work that you're pretty sure Jesus would say no to, but you know saying no to your boss would mean trouble. So you've effectively decided to say no to Jesus instead. Oh, you'll dress it up to make yourself feel better. You tell yourself that you can't just be naive in business, but you're the soil and the rocks, aren't you? And God's word hasn't gone deep at all. 
Or perhaps you responded to Jesus as a young man. You, you were full of enthusiasm about Jesus. And about girls. And about your career. And about your car. And your mortgage. And your wife. And your kids. And as time's gone on, there just hasn't been that much time for Jesus. And you know what? You hardly notice anyway. On the occasions you come to church, you find yourself thinking at times, gosh, they do take it a bit too seriously, don't they? And anyway, work is so pressured in the current climate, and you're not even aware the spiritual breath has long since been choked out of your body. That's the thorns, isn't it? And would you notice something? Notice Jesus doesn't seem to think this signifies a problem with the seed. It's not a problem with the word. He says this is what people can be like. It's hard to listen. It's hard for people to listen. There's no problem with God's word. It is clear and penetrating. Jesus is warning us it will be a battle just to listen to God's word. So here's the last thing we're going to think about. We've thought about parables. We've thought about God's kingdom. Well, here's some things about God's word. There's a final thing before uh, a few applications. And, And it's really this. With God's word, it's either use it or lose it. And that's what Jesus says in verses 16 to 18. Now, if you're kind of troubled by what Jesus has said, let, let Jesus encourage you. It could seem that he's saying these soils are fixed. You are one of these and you'll never change. I have to say, I think Jesus is telling us there will be people like this. Perhaps people here who will eventually just refuse the truth. But look at what he says at the end of verse 8. When he finished telling the parable the first time, uh, it, we're told, when he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus calls this out to everyone. He calls it out, wanting everyone to hear. And then look what he says in verse 16. He says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. And you understand what he's saying. He's, he's changed his, his metaphor there, but his words are the light. If you've not been listening, the reason he's speaking now is so that you can start to listen. Jesus is not mean in the least. He wants you to come and know him, to be right with him and enjoy his blessings. See, if he appears sharp, it's the sharpness of a loving saviour desperate to rescue you from a hard heart that all too often wants to refuse him. And that brings us back to verse 18, where we started. Uh, But now we understand why Jesus is saying, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Think about how you listen. It's not an easy thing to do, Jesus says with his word. Lots of people think they're listening, but they're not really, and will find too late, too late, uh, too late that they've long since wandered far away from God. And Jesus says, consider carefully how you listen. If you listen, he says, you'll get more and more and more. If you don't, even the little you think you've got, you'll eventually lose. See, with God's word, it's either use it or lose it. Well, as we just finish up, let me give you a couple of applications or, or implications really from this. If you're a Christian... 
If you're a Christian here this morning, that I I imagine uh, many or most of you are, knowing this to be true, I, I think it helps us to be realistic in a couple of ways. If what Jesus is saying is true, and it is, it it helps us be realistic about our own struggle to respond to God's word. So you might be sitting here as a Christian uh, this morning and think, actually, uh, over the past week, over the past month, if I'm honest, over the past year, I don't think I have been really listening that well. Uh, I've not been listening that well. Yet, Yet I've been along to church, I've heard things. But I've not really listened and I can't remember the last time I actually did something different because of something I heard from God's word. It's quite a question to ask, isn't it? When was the last time you changed something in your life because of something God said to you? Uh, you, you might be sitting here thinking that, I can't, I can't remember the last time I did that. I've not been listening well. Don't be surprised, it's, it's hard to listen. But Jesus is saying this to us this morning to warn us so we will start listening. And if you find it hard, you're not the only one. So we need to be realistic about encouraging each other. It's a good question to ask among your friends and the the small group Bible studies you're in. Are are we really listening to God's word? You you know the sermon we heard last week. Did you do anything about it this week? Remember what we studied at a home group last week? Has that changed your praying at all this week? Are we listening well? Please don't assume everyone else is getting on great. We sometimes think that, don't we? That I'm the terrible Christian and and everyone else must be doing fine. It's not like that. Don't assume everyone else is getting on great. Ask them. Make it one of your first questions with good Christian friends when you meet up with them. And it also helps us be realistic in telling others about Jesus, doesn't it? So as long as we're not being stupid or insensitive with a message, we'll not be surprised if some people reject it. So I'll not be discouraged and think perhaps I've not explained it correctly. If you're being careful, you probably have. But some people will not like what they hear. And so don't give up. As best we can, we've got to help people listen carefully. And if that's you, if you've been doing that, well done. So keep going. Don't give up. Keep sharing God's word. And can I say, if you're not a Christian... Something to think about from from what Jesus is saying here. Jesus doesn't expect you to accept things blindly. If you've just been considering Christianity or a a friend's been talking to you about it, it's not a case of hearing one thing and you you just have to believe it without thinking. No, you see what Jesus is saying. He encourages you to listen carefully. He wants you to think about these things. So you might have all sorts of genuine questions about Jesus and about the Bible, and about heaven and hell, it's not wrong to ask those questions. And I believe Jesus gives you good answers that you need. But I suppose the first genuine question is this. Will you listen carefully to what he says? Will you have a good heart that's ready to listen to the truth and accept it? I wonder if we we took a photograph of all of us this morning, a bit like this one. I wonder how we'd feel looking at it 10 years on from now. If we looked at these, well, I hope as we looked at those faces, uh, I hope that as I looked at it, I'd recognize in your face as someone whose life was shaped by God's word. And I hope you'd recognize the same in mine.